As you notice, I get the orange chair, ladies and gentlemen. This is Siobhan's chair, or Siobhan's chair, as my daughter calls her. Um, really, really lovely to see you all in here. Actually, I can't really see you, but it's better that way. Um, it's lovely that there are so many of you here. Some of you will have seen the matinee performance of Curious. Some of you will be coming tonight. Um, some of you perhaps haven't seen it yet. Some of you, like me, have seen it uh, rather a lot of times uh, and have simply fallen in love with it. And you're here today, these people are here today because um, it's nearly the end of the run in the West End. It's been a, such an astonishingly successful time here uh, in the West End at this theatre, but of course it started five years ago at the Cottesloe at the National. Um, one and a half people, it, one and a half million people, should I say, in London. <laughs> one and a half people have seen this show, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, respect. Um, three million people worldwide have seen the show. Um, I think 1,500 performances here in London. There are four more performances left before the curtain comes down on Curious on Saturday night, ending a, a phenomenal journey here in the West End, but not, as I'll tell you later, the journey that this play is continuing to take uh, around the world. Uh, it speaks for itself, the figures, seven Oliviers, five Tonys, and people coming back time and time again. Now, what we have here is something really very curious because we have managed to get the original creative team who brought Curious from the pages of Mark's book and onto the stage. These are the guys who devised what most of you will have seen, the stage, the sound, the video, and somehow got Christopher's story from a book onto the stage. And it's really rare for them all to be together. And they've been having a bit of a re reunion back there. So I won't tell you some of the anecdotes, but um, they're obviously very, very happy to see each other. It's a wonderful opportunity for us all to share the stage with us, them and to go back and talk about this journey that you've had with Curious uh, and, and what will be of the future, really. Uh, with the production and also with the many, many projects that you've been engaged in. Can we start by going round and each of you telling the audience who you are and what you did on this production? So we'll start with you. Okay, I'm uh, Adrian Sutton and I did the music school. I'm Finn Ross, a video designer. I'm Bunny Christie, I did the set and costumes. I don't need oh, two microphones. <laughs> I could do, I could do, should we do it? Yeah, I'm Simon Stevens, I wrote the play. <laughs> Uh, Marianne Elliott, I directed the show. I'm Scott Graham and I'm the co-movement director. I'm Mark Haddon, I wrote the novel. Stephen Hogger, I'm the other co-movement director. So there you have it. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Well, let's, let's start with the reason we are here in this theatre. It's nearly at the end of its West End run and... Um, this is quite, it's actually quite an emotional time. It must be for you guys to see that something you started all those years ago, and Simon, you did speak about an email dating back to 2009. This has been a long journey, um, and we've got four more performances here in the West End, so quite an emotional time. Yeah, I mean, it's really, really extraordinarily emotional. I, and I'm a, I'm a, I really nearly saw within like three seconds you of my first swear. answer. You can swear, it's cool. I was gonna say, and I'm glad I didn't, I was gonna say I'm a fucking emotional guy at the best of times. <laughs> But, uh, and tr tremendously sentimental and nostalgic. It's been extraordinary. It's been absolutely mental. And um, I, I, I was looking at an email this morning that Mark sent me in 2009 after he'd read the first draft. And he said, uh, he said yeah, I think the puppy might work. <laughs> which is, oh, it which did. Is quite, which was quite kind of a good bit of reading, I think. Um, it's, been, it's been amazing, isn't it? I mean, like, he rang me first in March 2008, I um, think. 
which is nearly 10 years ago, I got a phone call from Mark Haddon saying, what do you think? Do you think you could do it? Oh, I, 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 thought, I thought you could do it, A, because I loved your writing, and because at that time, most of your plays ended with someone being bludgeoned to death by a rock. And I thought, if I can trust anyone not to be sentimental with this play, it's going to be Simon. So, I mean, the whole journey, you know, every... Like, I don't know, I don't want to get nostalgic. It's extraordinary. Get nostalgic. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary showing it Marianne for the first time and her kind of like saying, oh, it's really, I really want to do it. It's really, really good. And then meeting Scott and Stephen in a pub with a blood-stained floor <laughs> in Bethnal Green, which is where they <laughs> had all That is where the creative process the began, in a pub it with was, a blood-stained floor. <laughs> it, was, it was the meeting before ours that ended in a terrible fight. And <laughs> John Tiffany's blood was strewn across the floor. <laughs> Uh, and then we came in and said, all right, yeah, you can do the job. And then, you know, it's, it's, it's exquisite. It's amazing. Somebody else talk now. No, I mean, Mark, <laughs> let, let's, should we go all the way back to the beginning? Yeah. When you, you, you wrote Curious, um, you didn't know when you wrote it, surely, that there, immediately, that, that, it, that it was, there was a production, there was a stage version of it, did you? No, I thought it was an insane idea. We, did, we actually had two um, Broadway producers get in t saying they wanted to do musicals. I mean, I still think I'd love to have to have a sort of separate timeline and let that happen and, and see what the musical will be like. I still have it running in my head sometimes. You know, there is a fork, there is a fork, there is a fork right through the dog. And then the kind of dancing policemen come on. I would pay it to see happened. that. I would pay to see that. <laughs> I really, really didn't think it could be done because one of the odd things about the novel, it's really, really first person. It's completely inside one person's head and they're a very unreliable narrator. And obviously on stage, everything is third person. You only ever get to see stuff from the outside. I genuinely didn't think it could be done, but I was obviously completely wrong. Simon proved me wrong. How long would you say the process was from you approaching Simon, Simon, you writing something, and then getting everyone else on board? Because obviously then you had to go to Marianne and you had to figure out how do you direct this, Bunny, how on earth, what is it going to look like, how are we going to get all of the characters around the stage, the light, the sound and the amazing choreography. That, that is a lot involved in one production, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the, the, You've got the, the dates, haven't you? Yeah, I've got, dates, I mean, I, I could actually get the emails out of my bag now. <laughs> no, Just the, talk uh, amongst yourselves. <laughs> I, um, it took about six weeks to write the script uh, and then about three years to get the stage rights to do it was the, was the longest way. And it was that time that Marianne first got bought and got these guys together. So you should talk about this beautiful collection of people. Uh, okay, so yeah, I read it and I didn't know that Simon had me in mind to direct it. I genuinely didn't know that. Yeah. Um, he asked me to read it because he thought that he'd done a terrible job and that maybe he shouldn't show it to anybody else. That's what I heard him say. <laughs> <clears throat> so I read it thinking, Oh, God, I knew the book. I had read the book. And I just loved it. And I had a response to it that I have a, a lot with Simon's work, which I couldn't really work out why I loved it. I had no idea how it would work. I thought it was possibly almost impossible to stage. Um, but I felt very emotional at the end. And then it came down to when... Well, we then persuaded the National to do it yep. and then it came down to my availability when I could do it and then we went into a, a workshop um, with all of these guys and a lot of the actors who were in the first production 
And I think in that workshop, we didn't know when we were going to produce it. So it was a quite a free workshop of a week. And we just tried out lots and lots of different things. Some of the things that were just awful, but we thought at the time they were brilliant. We spent a long time on them. I remember doing lots of drumming for, for the rhythm of trains. Do you remember that? Trying to get the rhythm of trains drumming. And there was an awful moment that we were trying to get Christopher to go into a bath and walk through the house and get into a bath. Flying bath, yeah. That was awful. Um, And then there were lots of discussions uh, about where it should be set. Should it be set in um, a schoolroom or should it be set in somewhere much more magical? And I kept saying it should be set in a schoolroom. It should be the teachers that are making this show. And, of course, you do make a lot of stupid decisions in a workshop. And Bonnie kept saying very quietly... I think maybe it should be a bit more than that. <laughs> Don't pass on. I mean, Bunny, Bunny, when did you come up with this idea? I mean, we're inside Christopher's head, really, aren't we? Yeah, I think I... Um, I think from when I read the book way back when it very first came out, um, the thing about the book is how playful you are with, the, you know, the chapters. The chapters aren't one, two, three, four. They're in prime numbers. And, and one chapter is, is plot, and then the next chapter is a kind of an idea of Christopher's. And it was very... The, the, so the book is very, very playful, and the script felt quite anarchic and not like a normal play. Didn't feel like a kind of, you know, A to Z kind of... So I thought, oh, wouldn't it be nice if when you come in to see the show, it doesn't feel like a normal show. It feels like you're going into something really exciting where something exciting can happen and it doesn't look... I thought, you know, for, for, for lots of people going into somewhere that looked like a schoolroom, for me, that would be like, oh, my God, you know, like, oh, I don't want to really spend a lot of time in that environment, whereas this environment, I feel like everybody would be like, oh, yeah, I want to have one of the night. Things, one of the things I really like about it, if you look on Twitter, it's the only show where everyone sends photographs in of the set before the show has started. Yeah. <laughs> I say, oh, look yeah. where I am. I've done it. I've sat in the audience and sent those pictures in. It's exciting to sit here, isn't it? Just out yeah. there looking at this. And Christopher's head is full of maths and science and technology. And we always had a kind of thing where we said, oh, let's celebrate the geek. Let's, let's make a thing, a feature of the technology and of the science and the maths and everything that goes into making a show like this, because there's masses of it. And so how did you, how long did you take to, to come up with this visual concept? I mean, obviously then sound, music, it all becomes involved. At what stage did you then start talking we, about Mar- the sound Marianne and I, we spent a lot of time in a, in a room <laughs> when we make models of the set. Um, so we spent two months or something, or we, you know, gradually looking at, coming up with ideas, and then we plotted through the whole show with little figures and little pieces of model. So we, we storyboarded it like you kind of would with a movie. So, like, I can remember really, really clearly when we did the bit where... Uh, those of you who've seen the show where people are sitting on the train and then on these boxes and then they tip over and then the whole world goes as if it's, you know, tipping up. And I remember us doing that in the model with the tiny little things and the figures. And every time when I watch the show, I kind of go, oh, yeah, I remember that little <laughs> moment that we came up with that idea. So, yeah. Uh, and what about the, the, the video, um, the use of... I mean, so brilliantly used, isn't it? The, the use of the video, very, very deliberate and very effective. Very effective. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the video kind of naturally came out of Christopher's head, or it was a... I think, I think what my job became, or I saw it as being, was sort of how to kind of get those moments when 
sort of his understanding of reality and the world we're in is very different to our own one to try and explain to the audience the kind of information overload and the meltdown and just to sort of move us to different places and take us into his world, his journey and his imagination. And Bunny sort of created this brilliant canvas uh, to, to play in, uh, into which, uh, you know, Paulie, the lighting designer, and I could sort of work into together to, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, create these sort of places and sensations nice, a lot of the time. Um, things with the drawings in the book. That's mm. another thing that's so lovely to read a book as an adult where there's illustrations, and, you know, that's just delightful. So we wanted to use lots of them, yeah. didn't we, in the, in, you know, and incorporate them into the, into the world so that, yeah. You, you spent a long time in the rehearsal, both of you, didn't you? So yeah. you should talk about, oh, uh, I was just gonna say that the creative team spent a long time in the rehearsal room watching the rehearsals. Um, and therefore trying to work out how the, the video, as, as Finn is talking about, or the music, as Adrian composed, would fit with what we're doing. We should talk a little bit about the, the maths and the music, Adrian. Yeah, well, certainly whenever a, um, starting a, a music school for a show, one of the first questions one has to ask is, um, how are you going to embody the, you know, the concept of the play in the musical school? Because that can be quite tricky sometimes, trying to sort of translate what the play is about into a musical score. And I had an absolute joy on, on this, this show because it was that, that problem was almost solved instantly for me. Because this idea of being inside uh, Christopher's head, I mean, it's just perfect for, for translating into a, into a musical way. He loves computers, he loves maths, he loves all these things you know, he can, he can um, control and he doesn't have to deal with emotion, you know. Um, and that it's, just, it's just perfect for musical material. So it's like handed to me on a plate. So thank you very much, uh, Simon and Mark, for that. And, well, and Marianne as well. But I mean, it's, it, for what that translated into practically for me, as Marianne said, was uh, just being in the rehearsal room, watching it all go on and thinking, how can we, uh, for example, um, take advantage of the fact that Chris, Christopher loves prime numbers and loves mathematical systems generally. Um, and I just thought, great, well, we can, we can create all kinds of thing, all, all kinds of musical devices out of prime number sets. Uh, and I did, uh, I did sort of go slightly mad on that by, by the end. I think in the second iteration of the show, I was, I was getting sort of quite OCD about it, quite sort of compulsive. <laughs> but I thought, well, you know, but that's fine because that's what Christopher would have done. So uh, obviously, I, obviously I had too much time on my hands for, for that. Every, every, every musical phrase is built around a prime number. L large, large sets of, of the musical material is. I mean, in fact, there's even in the very opening of the show, uh, the, the rhythm that's played out is not only a prime number rhythm, but the sounds which are being used to play the rhythm are themselves made up of sine waves, which are prime number frequencies. <laughs> but you'd never know that. <laughs> So that's what I mean. You see, I need to get out more. I don't obviously I don't have a life. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So that's that's. Uh, what you, you're all, of course, brilliant at maths, aren't you? Yeah. 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 Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no. Like, I still don't understand the appendix that comes at the end of the show. <laughs> and luckily, kind of turning it into a visual concept actually made it land for me. But I have no clue about maths at all. But it, it is extraordinary to hear you talk about the the, the music and being in prime numbers effectively. That's just the amount of detail that, is, that has gone into making this Christopher's story. Mm. I, I think, certainly, I can only speak for myself, but um, often 
in a creative process, one of the scariest times is at the start where you actually have a completely blank canvas and you don't really know, um, you know what you're basing something on. Um, it's almost ironic, but the more you, you delve into that detail, the easier the process becomes because it's almost like uh, it's, it's, it's feeding you a line of things to investigate. Um, and so whilst that thing about prime numbers might sound sort of, you know, weirdly um, obsessive, it is actually the route into, into the material and, and it's, it's what really gives you like a, a springboard, um, I found. And it, like if we didn't have that, it's, that becomes a lot more difficult to, you know, to write a musical score. I guess it might apply in the same... In yeah, same I was going to say because everything in the show is so specific because he is very specific. So the grids, for example, that you see on the floor and on the walls um, and where the boxes are placed and where the actors stand and where the rooms are in certain sections of the stage is incredibly specific. Everything is very specific about the show. And when we first looked at the, um, how he was gonna do that journey in the workshop, both Scott and Stephen were in that workshop and trying to discover what the hell we were going to do <laughs> for a station, a train, another station. Um, well, yeah, let, let's talk a bit about the choreography because it, you ask a lot of the cast, don't you? Um, it, it's such a physical show, isn't it? Um, it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, we did ask a lot. Um, but it was a fascinating process because there were times when we were, um, we were, we were in the rehearsal room getting actors to be shower curtains and things like that. You know, and we're looking at each other going, what are we doing? You know, we're <laughs> breaking every rule that we ever thought existed. Um, but that was what was so exciting as well, because we were just trying to do something different. Um, and I don't know, that just felt really important. It felt like we were all doing that, all gone a little bit outside our, our comfort zone. Um, one of the things I was thinking about, though, when, Adrian, you were talking about the, the prime numbers, um, possibly being a limitation, but also being a springboard. I think it was the same for the physicality with someone like Christopher, because it's someone who doesn't touch anybody else. And that's great, which means you can't throw away movement, you can't throw away touch, you have to think about it all of the time. And actually we started talking about how this was an impossible piece of work, how can you put it on stage? It's impossibility is what made it possible, that singular, voice, that singular, unreliable narrator is, out, is also the most reliable person as well because it means you've got to see everything through their eyes. We can't just make stuff up because Christopher will see you right. You've got to say, is this right for Christopher? What does this look like for Christopher? What does this feel like for Christopher? And I think that's what really helped us, having this incredible character at the heart of every, every decision. I think it's also... <laughs> Oh, is that a better one? <laughs> There's also the point, we, we were able to kind of create things that are very precise in the book and the uh, adaptation gave us lots of uh, material and, and also as co-creatives, you were always kind of listening into conversations to figure out how to make a scene work. And it was like, like best idea wins. It wasn't a kind of exclusive um, process. But, so we were being very imaginative, but also we did take a responsibility for looking at how an actor will portray somebody who has a, uh, any type of condition within that um, spectrum. So we were visiting schools and just watching behavioral patterns because there's a, very, there's a very specific way of physically behaving and there's also a very specific way about how actors think that people behave in that way. 
So there was also, as well as being incredibly kind of lateral with our thinking, we also had to go to sit in schools for days and look at 25 kids all day and just make sure that we didn't land something on stage that was trite or overblown or even too specific because it, the, the book isn't and we didn't want to be more specific than the book. So it, it challenges on many, many, many levels and the, and the performers, particularly the Christopher performer, you know, it was the, you, now you're going to be in, the, in space and you wave to your rat and when you come back down, if you, twi if you twiggle with your toggle too much, it's wrong. So it's like, it, was one of those show, it was one of those shows where people really liked us for a while and then they don't for a while. And then by opening night, they've forgotten about it. So, so there must have been so much rehearsal. I mean, that's probably stating the obvious, but absolutely every step has to be choreographed precisely. Uh, and that must have taken such a lot of work. It did. It did, didn't it? Yeah. I mean, you had the mornings to do all the physical work, and I had the afternoons. <laughs> Um, uh, I mean, obviously, we worked together as well, um, and a lot of the time, as I said, the whole creative team were in the rehearsal room. Um, one of my favourite memories is walking in at midday and seeing the company just absolutely fucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, knackered, absolutely knackered. Yeah, but I think what, what's also worth saying. <laughs> that made you feel good, right? Okay, thanks, Sam. What's also worth saying is that. Um, yeah, we were, I think we were really aware, weren't we, that we were pushing boundaries, that we were pushing boundaries in ourselves. We were taking ourselves out of our comfort zone. And we were definitely pushing the National Theatre. Um, I remember us having a discussion with the producers at the time. You know, we were way over budget, we couldn't do it, and we were pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. And then there was a discussion in tech i remember when in the original version we were in the cottesloe and it was in the round and there were tiny little trains automated trains at the end of the first half and i really wanted these trains and it was bonnie's idea and it was brilliant it was like no way you're going to have the trains you can't afford the trains oh, well i'll pay for the trains myself then <laughs> and you know, it was like that but 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 also it was a very harmonious time because um as scott just said you know um, we, 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 we all work together really well and we really listen to each other and every day you're reassessing what you've done and especially in a technical rehearsal when you're looking at how things are visually um, and the stakes are quite high because you've got to open on a certain day or, or, or even the shows, you know, you, people are coming in that night and you're changing things. Everybody would listen and talk and debate. It was very much a team-spirited team uh, experience. And from that first performance five years ago obviously that the Cottesloe that these stages are different sizes aren't they so that's a challenge in itself isn't it to make sure you include all of the movement all of the video um, all of the choreography in different spaces does that's brought must have brought challenges as well I think one of the um, when, when <laughs> <laughs> yeah Scott yes it did <laughs> yeah thanks <laughs> There's, there's quite a big lot of maintenance um, f from people on, on the tour, and the touring version is something that is, is incredibly kind of well looked after. It, it doesn't just arrive and, and unpacks itself. Um, the size of an auditorium, the show is, you know, it's, it's not a musical. People don't sing to the back row. They speak to, to somebody across the space this way. You know, Christopher puts his face outwards now and again, but it's not that often. So, we, yeah, as a piece of theatre, it's one that needs constant love and care and attention. 
but you know, thankfully, it's the kind of show where I think we did want to look after it, and it did feel like it's, it's, it needs nurturing. And in different spaces, it plays differently on its first night, and you have to go and note the performers on the fact that it's too loud or it's too quiet, and it has to sit in a real sweet spot. Um, but it, it's the show where it, you, you give a note, and when it works, the reward system on this show is extraordinary. It really just pay, pay back in terms of being a creative person sat there watching an audience respond to wherever, you know, whatever town or city we're in. One of the things that continues to astonish me about this show is the level of rigour and thought and imagination from everybody in the creative team. Um, it, it absolutely staggers me. Seeing the start of the, the current UK tour, which opened in Salford, you know, the creative team are there changing it still, five years down the line, making it better every time. It's not that it's, it, it didn't feel to me as though the, uh, moving from the Cottesloe to, to, to the West End to a proscenium theatre was a problem that cowed people. Rather, it brought the best out of people and it made them, and everybody, and you know, I remember Nick Heitner talking to Mark on the first day of the first read through uh, and him coming over to Mark and he's talking about these guys and he said, Don't worry, you've got the A team. And it really is like the best team of creative artists in British theatre. And they're continuing to push themselves every single incarnation. When one of the conventions of British theatre is the model box showing, where after a read through, the designer will show the cast how the set's going to work. Now, I've never been in a model box showing like the model box showing for the proscenium, for the West End transfer, showing a cast who already knew the show what the set was going to be like. And Bunny's description of what, how she'd imagined it for the proscenium, taking it from a theatre in the round studio mm -hmm. to the proscenium, it brought the cast, they kind of gave her a round of applause, which doesn't happen with British actors. They're not <laughs> like that. They're not like that. And that, for me, is the defining thing of this show. That's what makes it extraordinary. You take the best creative minds in British theatre and they work harder than they've ever worked. It's absolutely extraordinary. I was just going to just going to add to that, um, which is that it's it, it, obviously a very very technical show. I mean, you, you can see from everything around you and what you hear, but it's it's the most geeky technical show certainly that I've ever worked on. We have massive fun, um, and I mean, I just remember when we were teching, you know, uh, the tech normally takes place you know, sort of there in the middle of the stalls, and I mean, all 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 departments and especially sound. Uh, video lighting and music all together and we were just getting soaked in all the digital buggery of it all you know which was I mean we were sending messages to and fro between the uh, the desks you know that we were controlling them they were controlling us there would be conversations going on like 2.4 seconds no 2.2 no, 2 that's it that's it 2.4 sorry is that right 2.4 it was that sort of conversation was going on all the time um, all in service of uh, the vision that you had, that it's everything in Christopher's mind, it's got to be absolutely sharp. Everything's got to be an instant switch. And so you had to be able to cut your fingers on the edges of this show, really. It had to be so tight. And that was a lot of fun to do. So that's where that came from, I think. That's, uh, Mark, uh, we'll call you the mothership. Um, so <laughs> the first time you saw it and knew that they had got it, when was that? This was actually one of Simon's ambitions. I said to him, before he started the whole process, I really want it, and I apologize to anyone who loves the book. I mean, I love the book, I wrote it, but it had almost died on me. When you've done 300 interviews about the book, I, I couldn't even remember having written it anymore. I couldn't even read it 
and feel it alive on the page. So I wanted, I wanted Simon to bring it out of its coffin and give it a new life. And I remember sitting there in that first preview and it, it happened. It, it was just the walking dead. It had come back to life again. It was fantastic. My wife said afterwards, she said, that was so sweet, looking at you laughing at all your own jokes. <laughs> yeah, you brought it back to life for me. It's fantastic. It's worth um, saying that Curious finishes here on Saturday, but it is still on a second UK and Ireland tour. It's also on tour in North America. It premieres in Canada. It's playing in Amsterdam and other dates around the world that will be announced. So this play will continue to thrill millions around the world um, in the coming years. But uh, for now, at the Gielgud here, it's, um, it's a farewell to Curious. Um, Thank you so much to this astonishing lineup of creative brilliance, and it's been so wonderful to have you all here together. I think they're going to have quite a reunion backstage. They may even have a couple of bottles of wine, I guess. Um, you've got a lot of catching up to do. It's been an absolute privilege to speak to you all, to hear from you all, and I think I speak on behalf of many other people when I say just thank you so much for Curious Incident. Thank you. Thank you.